Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We've been studying the life of Peter, um, subtitled from Fisherman to Follower of Jesus. Uh, we only have, I think, like four more lessons left, if I remember correctly. Um, tonight, the title of the lesson is Preparing for a Move of God. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in just a moment. You know, I think every single one of us want and need God to get actively involved in our lives. All right. Now, we have our everyday walk with God. At least we should. You know, we're just kind of going through life. It's an everyday day. Uh, hopefully that includes communicating with God, you know, talking to him, listening through prayer and his word, you know, expecting him to be there for us because of his promises, trying our best to live the life for him, our lives for him. But sometimes we just need something special, right? Or we just want something special. Sometimes we have a specific need, a need for healing, a need for strength, a need in the financial area, relationship area, some other uh, some other thing. Sometimes it may not be a need. It's just like, God, I just want and need a special touch. You know, I mean, how many times have we thought, you know, Lord, I just like to have a revival in my life, you know, or be part of a revival, a special move of God. Well, for God to do these special things, okay, we pray for them. We try to believe for them. What is it that actually brings them about? And that's kind of what I want us to look at tonight. Um, do you think that there's anything we can or should do to set the stage for God to work in a powerful way in our lives? Is there anything that we can or should do to set what, what, what would those things be? I think I saw Tim's hand. Tim? We pray and we wait. And you didn't say patiently, but that's part of waiting, isn't it? Pray and wait patiently. John? Studying his word. What else can we do or should we do to kind of prepare the way, set the stage for God to do a work in our lives? Either one. Okay. So reach out to others. Be hospitable, be empathetic, be aware of their needs, be caring. Okay. All right. So this is not just what we're wanting to do to see God work in our lives, but through us. Or in other people's lives. And of course the things that we said before. Prayer. Praying for them. Not just for us. Yeah. Okay. All right. Do you think God is ever waiting on us for something before he does something? Yeah. I think so. You know, I think sometimes we're praying for things and God says, yeah, I'd really love to do that. But you need to do your part. You know, I've used the illustration so many times, and it's a really obvious, literal one. Is you're praying for a job, but you don't go out looking for one. God may say, listen, if you're not willing to do your part, forget it, you know. Um, or you're praying for healing for some part of your body, but you're doing something that's tremendously unhealthy or whatever that affects that part of your body. You know, be so like somebody who smokes two packs a day praying for healing from lung cancer, you know, and they don't willing to stop. You know, just simple things like that. All right. So anyway, the title of the lesson tonight is Preparing for Move of God. We're going to be looking at this story in Acts that we kind of saw the setup for last week. And as we look at this story, it's going to be very, very different than what would be normal for us in our normal life. But there are things that we're going to see in this story that Peter does 
and this man that he's going to interact with, his name is Cornelius, that actually kind of set the stage for what God did. And I think we can do the same things to set the stage for whatever God wants to do in our lives. Now, we can't just do these things and say, okay, God, I did this. I followed step one, two, three, four, five, six. Now you've got to do what I want you to do. No. But if we really want God to work more powerfully in our lives, respond you know, better to our prayers and, and our needs and our desires, then there's some things we can see in this story. So a quick review before we jump into the text. Um, there's this guy named Cornelius. He is a Roman centurion, which is a soldier who's over about 100 soldiers, okay, um, in a position of leadership. And he's not a Jew. He is a Gentile, which is anybody that's not a Jew. But he is a God-fearer. In other words, he believes in the Jewish God. He fears him. He awes him. He respects him. And because of that, um, he tries to live a good life, a life of obedience to God. Now, he's not a proselyte to Judaism. We talked about that last week. To take the full and final step to really be accepted by the Jews... You had to go through a bunch of processes and studies and baptisms and, and you had to be circumcised if you're a guy. Well, he's not done all that, but he respects the Jewish God and he worships him and he prays. And the scripture we read last week is that he gives to people that are needy, just tries to live a good life. And God sees that and he respects that. He accepts that. He honors that. So one day Cornelius is praying. God sends an angel and basically says, I've got more for you. You need to send for Peter. Peter's got something to tell you. And he tells him exactly where Peter is. Peter's in a town 30 miles away. Cornelius is in Caesarea. Peter's in Joppa. He says, go to Joppa or send somebody to Joppa. And he's staying in this house with a man by the name of Simon. He's a tanner. It's by the sea. And so Cornelius sends one of his soldiers with two of his household servants to go get Peter. In the meantime, Peter is waiting for lunch. He's up on the roof, which was a living area, praying. He's hungry, and he has a vision. Same vision three times. God lets down this sheet full of animals, and he says, Peter, you're hungry. Just kill and eat. And the animals that are there, a lot of them are what they call unclean animals, animals that God had told them in the Old Testament, don't you eat these. Okay, they're unclean. Peter says, no, what I can't do this. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And God says, don't you call unclean what i've said is clean did that three times okay and so peter is wondering what does this thing mean when the guys show up at the gate and say hey we've been sent to get you all right and so peter invites them in for a dinner and that's where we pick up the story okay so we're going to jump into the story we're going to read it a little bit of time we're going to kind of move through the story a little bit quicker so we can get to the application but the first part of the story is peter meets cornelius peter meets cornelius all right, so we're going to pick it up in verse 23. This is just after Peter came off the roof, met these three guys, and it says in verse 23, he invited them in to be his guests. It's later in the day. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. These are brothers. These are Christians, but we're going to find out later that they're Jews too. They're Jewish Christians. Of course, at this time, pretty much all the Christians are Jewish Christians. We mentioned last week, that's the problem. The Jewish Christians don't think that anybody but Jews can become Christians. And if people that aren't Jews want to become Christians, they need to become Jews first. That was the big thing that the church had to wrestle with for the first three, four, five, six years of the church's life. All right. So it says that some of the brothers, the Christian brothers, Christian Jewish brothers from Joppa, went with him. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. 
When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up! I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. All right, so these guys show up. Peter invites them in. They spend the night. They leave the next day. It takes a day and a half because it's 30 miles to walk. Several, we're going to find out later, six of his Christian, Jewish Christian brothers go with them. We talked about this last week. Why do you think these six Jewish Christian brothers went with him? John. As a witness, yeah. Uh, I think Peter's starting to get the idea, okay, God's up to something. And I don't know what it is. It has to do with clean and unclean. And um, uh, I think he's thinking, let me take some people with me so that they can witness whatever happens. Got somebody to verify my story. And we're going to find out later tonight and um, next lesson in two weeks, um, those witnesses are necessary. Okay, because he's going to be um, criticized um, for what happens in this story, even though he's doing what God told him to do. All right. So there comes witness. I think they're probably there for prayer support, too, and, and traveling um, companions. And it says that when they get to Caesarea, that Cornelius is waiting. In fact, it says his house is full, okay, of family members and friends. How did Cornelius know to expect Peter? Why did Cornelius gather all these people together before Peter even got there? He had been warned by God. What did you say, Dorothy? Okay. Because God told him to send for Peter. Now, could he know for sure that Peter would come? You say, is that a trick question? In the flesh, no. But if God said to send for Peter, chances are Peter's going to come, right? So this is an act of faith. Cornelius says, God said to send for Peter. I don't know Peter. I don't know anything about Peter. But if God said to send for him, apparently he's going to come. So as an act of faith, Cornelius calls together family members, friends, probably all of his servants. And not only is it an act of faith, but an act of love. You know, Cornelius is seeking God and trying to live for God. And for the story seems to indicate he's leading his household to do the same thing. And when God basically says, hey, you need to go. Peter's got something to tell you. Send an angel. You know, he could have just waited till he got there and then found out what Peter had to say and then decided whether he wanted to do with his family. But no, it's like, if God's got something for me, I want my family to have it too. Tim, you had your hand up. That's right. That's right. He was praying. He got an answer, got a message, and he acted on it. And he didn't wait until the next obvious, well, it's, just, it's an obvious step, but the next thing he could see. By faith, he went ahead and took the next step. It's funny, kind of funny here that when Peter shows up, Cornelius bows down to kind of worship him, which would not be unusual in the Gentile world. But of course, you know, for any being, including angels, to receive worship is blasphemy. Only God deserves worship. And so Peter says, stand up. I'm just a man just like you are. All right. And um, then Peter jumps in there and he says, as you know, it's unlawful for a Jew to associate with anybody from another nation. All right. And the unlawfulness is not according to God's law. It's against the Jewish custom. 
And it has to do with the cleanliness issues. God had given his people so many laws about what was clean and unclean. And Gentiles didn't live by those laws. All right? And so you didn't go to a Gentile's house because there's probably a lot of stuff in that house that would be considered unclean. If you were invited to eat something, chances are there's a good chance that the food's going to be unclean and you're not going to be able to eat it. And so you're setting yourself up for a situation that they believe that God would not approve of. Now, you could invite a Gentile into your home because you could control what they could eat, you know, and everything else. But they usually didn't even do that because they had built this up so much in their minds that there's this big wall between the Jewish people and any other group of people. You didn't have anything to do with them unless you absolutely had to. But that's what the vision was all about. God was saying, I'm getting ready to do something. You're going to think it's unclean, but it's not. If I say it's clean, it's clean. All right. And so Peter explains that. He says, God showed me. I shouldn't call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, why did you send for me? So that brings us to the second part of the story. Cornelius tells his story. Verses 30 to 33. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the afternoon. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. We know it was an angel from what was said earlier. And he said, Cornelius... Your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now, just from these words that Cornelius shares, how do you think he is feeling about this encounter? He's in awe, okay? He's eager, isn't he? He's excited. I mean, he's gathered all his family. We're ready, whatever it is. It's such a great sense of anticipation. You know, we have so much more than the people of that day had. If only we could have the same sense of awe and anticipation. Sometimes people say, man, I wish God would speak to me like he spoke to Abraham. You know, or looking at this, or I wish God would speak to me like he did Peter. Give me dreams and visions. I wish God would speak to me like he did to Cornelius. You know, we're talking about one, in Cornelius' life, one miraculous event maybe in his entire life. Okay? Peter, more than that. But we've got God's word. 66 books of God's word where he speaks directly to us. You know, if Abraham could see what we've got, he said, I'll trade with God the way God spoke to me. I mean, it was very personal, and I'm glad for what God did for me. I wouldn't trade that for the world. But as far as God speaking to me, I'd take the Bible over God's interaction with me a couple times over the course of 50 years any day. But we don't have the same anticipation, right? Expectation. Uh, Many times. But may God give that to us. So they're eager. And and I love the way he says we are now, therefore, in the presence of God. You know, any time that we gather together to study God's word, to hear from him, we're not just together, to, we're in the presence of God. We're in the presence of God tonight. You know, and God wants to speak to us tonight, okay? And I love his attitude. He says, we're ready to hear all that you've been commanded of the Lord. He says, we, whatever you got, we're ready. Just give it to us, both barrels, all right? It reminds me of some people that Paul had spoken to on one of his missionary journeys. You know, Paul was constantly being chased out of town by the people that didn't like what he was doing. You know, the, the, the Jewish people that didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And he left Thessalonica under some very adverse conditions. 
and went to the next town, which was Berea. All right. He began to share the gospel with them. And in Acts chapter 17, 11, it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. In other words, he says, they're just like one step above. Why? They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. All right. Doesn't mean the people in Thessalonica were bad Christians or anything like that. It just says the people of Berea had an extra zeal. They had an extra eagerness. They listened to Paul. They were so excited. And not only did they listen to him with eagerness and excitement, but they studied the scriptures themselves to make sure it was so. And that's a good example for us too. So as Cornelius shares this story, it makes it very clear that God had prepared them. God had prepared him. And we, that's kind of how we closed our lesson last week, that God had prepared Peter for what he wanted Peter to do, but he had prepared Cornelius and through Cornelius his household for what he wanted to do before either one of them was aware of the other one. The good news is God still does that today. As we go through life, God is preparing us for stuff that we don't even know about yet. He'll let us know it's the right time, but he's also preparing people on the other end of whatever that is, whether he wants you to share the love of Jesus with somebody through helping them, through sharing the gospel, like the, 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 the um, testimony Amanda gave earlier when she had the flat tire and she was able to pull right off the freeway and there was the gas station in the tire place and the guy was just happened to be there to help her get across the track. God prepared all that ahead of time. You know, he did. Let's go on with the story to the third part. The Gentiles hear the good news. Now, I left Gentiles as the blank to fill in because that's the big deal. The Gentiles. These aren't more Jews. These are Gentiles. This is the first time in the book of Acts that we see that people other than Jews or Samaritans, which are kind of half-breeds, but the actual Gentiles, the heathen, get to hear the gospel and respond to it. Let's look at verses 34 to 43. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead." To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So here we have probably a summary of the message that Peter brought, because this is relatively short. And, and that's very, very common in ancient writings and in biblical writings. When someone had a message or whatever, you know, we may only have a summary of it, okay, or the, the most important points. What's really interesting is that whenever you see Peter preaching, and I think this is the fourth time he has a message in the book of Acts, he hits the same points. He always makes sure he hits the basic gospel message. Um, uh, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But if you were to compare this with the gospel of Mark, it's almost like Peter's sermon is an outline of the gospel of Mark. And we know from church history and tradition that Mark and Peter were very, very close. 
And most Bible scholars believe that Mark took Peter's message and fleshed it out to create his gospel. Okay, so there may be some correlation between um, this and the other basic messages that Peter preached and Mark's gospel. So Peter starts out before he gives the story about Jesus, and he says that now he understands that God shows no partiality. And I'm so glad that God doesn't show favoritism. You know, if God really had only sent Jesus for the Jews, most all of us would be lost. Unless you're one of those, like Brother Henry used to say, he was a Jamaican. So, (laughs) you remember Brother Henry used to say that. Um, Yeah, we'd all be lost. But God started from the very beginning, wanted to reach all people. It's just his people kind of got off track a little bit. All right? doesn't matter their nationality, their social status, how much they owned, how much they owed. But God responds instead to a person's character and their actions and their openness. That's where he says here, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, let me clarify something here. It does not say, and it is not trying to say, that anybody, wherever they are, if they do what they think is right, and they fear some kind of God out there that they're saved, it just says that that's the first step, and God's willing to draw them in and to accept them. In fact, if you look at the rest of Peter's message here, he makes it very, very clear that that's why God sent Jesus, and it's only in his name that you can be saved, okay? All right. So anyway, he starts in here, he says, you know, it's all about Jesus, He says, you yourselves know, you know, they're in Caesarea. That's not that far away from where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. They'd heard the rumors and and there'd actually been um, Philip, one of the deacons, had traveled to Caesarea and preached. And so there was probably a good Jewish Christian church there. And so these people had actually heard things about Jesus, but they hadn't quite gotten the whole message. All right. And so then he gives these key elements of the gospel message. What are the things that stand out to you about what Peter preached? Or what are the key things that he's emphasizing? Maybe you remember from some of the other messages that Peter preached. What are the key thoughts that he always brings out and he brings out in this message? Repentance, okay, of sin, yeah? Barbara? What? Well, that's a very important part of God's message, but it's not in this particular message, Okay. So as Peter's sharing the gospel, what are some of the important facts that he emphasizes? The resurrection. What else? That was the introduction where God told him to not call something unclean that was clean. Or common or whatever. Um, Yeah. It's all about Jesus, right? It says it all started when John was baptizing and Jesus was baptized. Then he talks about how Jesus was anointed by God and the Holy Spirit to do great things, and that he was always going around doing good. It talked about Jesus' death, his resurrection, and then the fact that Peter and some other disciples had been with Jesus the whole time, and Jesus said, go out and take this message. It's all around Jesus, the basic gospel message, that Jesus is God come in the flesh. He came and did good things, but they killed him. Notice how this message is a little bit different. The earlier messages, Jesus, uh, Peter is preaching and talking in Jerusalem. And he says, you put him to death. He didn't say that this time. He said, they put him to death because he's not in Jerusalem. They weren't there. But he says the same thing about God, doesn't he? He says, they put him to death, but God raised him from the dead. Before it was you put him to death, but God raised him from the dead. And so he says that Jesus had told Peter and the others that were witnesses to 
go and preach this. We call it the Great Commission. And he wrapped it all up by giving a really just very brief um, balance between um, what people needed to do. Verse 42, he says, He commanded us to preach and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him and all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So you've got judgment and you've got forgiveness. Right? That's the basic thing. We're all sinners separated from God. Because of our sin, we deserve judgment, and there will be a judgment day. But because of what Jesus did and what he went through, forgiveness is available through his name. Verse 43, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. What does that mean, that we receive forgiveness of sins through his name? Does that mean that if... If we say over ourselves and somebody else, in Jesus' name, you're forgiven, that we're forgiven? Chris? Okay. It's through his name. So it's only through Jesus. And there's lots of things you just mentioned. Things Jesus said himself. You know, John, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All the pictures that he's the living water, he's the bread of life. Jesus is the only way. You know, the name of Jesus, it's not meant to be some kind of magic incantation. You can just call on the name of the name of somebody, and it's still true today, represents the person, who they are, and what they've done. So it's through Jesus, who he is, he's God come in the flesh. What he's done, he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. It's that sense in which through his name, forgiveness is available. The basic gospel message, we put our trust in him because of who he is and what he's done. A person's name represented their character and everything that was true about them. All right, the last part of the story for tonight anyway is the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. And again, I left you fill in the blank to be Gentiles because again, this is the thing that's so amazing that God actually shows his acceptance of Gentiles. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, I think this is great. He didn't even get to finish his message. Now, he gave all the pertinent information. I think it'd be so cool to be preaching one day and get close to the end of the message and all the important stuff God wanted to get out there and I couldn't even finish because God just moves in a powerful way and you, can't, you don't even know what else is going to happen next because God's just moving, all right? But it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. Okay, the word there, it means they're just astounded. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. I mean, it's, it's like, oh my goodness. God's accepting Gentiles. God's accepting heathen. You know? For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So Peter's preaching. He gets toward the end of his sermon, or maybe it was the end. Maybe he's still in the middle. I don't know where he was in his thoughts. But he'd gotten all the important stuff out. God says, okay, they know enough now. Apparently, they had believed in their hearts, and God just poured out his Holy Spirit. And it was obvious because they all began to speak in tongues. Okay? An unexpected interruption from heaven. Um, we talked about this a little bit before, and we're going to talk about it in another lesson down the line, that Jesus had told Peter that he was going to be instrumental in the foundation of the church. He said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. 
I think we talked about that a little bit last week. What did that mean? It meant that, he, that Peter would be instrumental in opening the doors to the kingdom of God to people. And he did that on the day of Pentecost for the Jews. He did it later in Acts chapter 8, I think it was, for the Samaritans. You know, they had been preached to by somebody else, became believers, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit. Peter and John went up, prayed for them, they received the Holy Spirit. Why the delay? Because God was going to use Peter to open that door. And now God uses Peter to open the door of the kingdom of God to the Gentiles. All right? So they're all saved, probably during the preaching, filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter's companions are astonished and totally amazed because they're speaking in other tongues. Now, this is going to be key in our next lesson, which will be in two weeks, because Peter's going to go back to Jerusalem. And the news of what happened here is going to go ahead of him. And all the Jewish Christians are going to be like, what did you do, Peter? Why did you go to those Gentiles? Why did you go in their house? I can't believe, you know we can't do that. And Peter's going to say, you can't fight against God. <laughs> they, they were saying that to the religious leaders. You know, when the religious leaders said, stop preaching about Jesus, I can't fight, I can't, got to do what God tells me to do. Going to use the same argument with his Jewish Christian brothers and sisters. You know, they just couldn't get it in their head that God would actually accept Gentiles. And he says, if God made it obvious because he poured out his spirit, they were speaking in other tongues. Who was I to um, oppose that? Okay, so we'll see that in the next lesson. But I find it very interesting that immediately after it was obvious that they'd have been accepted by God and they accepted Jesus as their Savior, the first thing he talks about is baptism. Sometimes people treat baptism so lightly but baptism is very, very important. Now, it's not required to be saved. It's not what saves us. But this is the first thing that God asks us to do as believers, to be baptized as a public declaration of our faith. And so uh, we need to take it very, very seriously. He says, so he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes people say, well, why did Jesus say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, and some people make that into a big doctrinal issue. Which way do you do it? And this, that, and the other. Um, you know, my thing is always go down on the side of what Jesus said. So that's why we baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But since the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all three one, God, in the name of Jesus, is still in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But there's another aspect here. There was all different kinds of baptisms in this day and time. There's John the Baptist baptism, and there's still people that are being baptized by John the Baptist baptism at this time in history. Okay, But not only that, but the Jewish people had different types of baptisms that they did for certain rituals and cleansings and things like this. And this is just to differentiate from all the other kind of baptisms. Okay, now that you're believers, there's a baptism for you. It's a baptism because of Jesus. And so that's what Peter's talking about here. Now it says they asked him to remain for some days. Why do you think they asked Peter to stick around for a while? Chris? They needed some discipleship. They needed some discipleship, yeah. I mean, it wasn't just to celebrate. I'm sure they did a lot of that too. But so they could learn more about the Jesus. And, you know, no matter how long Peter actually preached, if this is a summary, let's say he preached for an hour before the Holy Spirit fell. They still got just a small picture of all the stuff that Jesus did and said and how that related to the Old Testament. So they wanted Peter to stick around. Now, for Peter to stick around, that means that at some point he was going to sit down and eat with these people. That was the next step to overcome all of his prejudices 
and um, all the stuff that he had grown up with, you don't do that with Gentiles, okay? But God had already spoken to him and um, cleared the way for that. So now I want to spend the rest of the time now to talk about how does this apply to us today, okay? God did a mighty work. I would have loved to have been there that day. You know, hear Peter preach to these people that were so excited about God's word and and before he could even finish, God's spirit came down and moved. And I can only imagine what else might have gone on that we don't have reported here about worship and praise and all that kind of stuff. And it's stuff that we dream about, isn't it? It's stuff that maybe some of us have experienced, being in a place when God just moved in a powerful way. You know, worship and God's spirit and powerful things, maybe miraculous things, okay? Now, here's the thing. God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it. But as we started out, there are certain things that we can do to prepare for a move of God. Not to say if we do this, God has to show up and God has to do this, that, and the other. But things that we can do to prepare for God to do what he really would like to do and to do some powerful things. And there's two different aspects to this, being prepared to be used by God, which we see in Peter, and being prepared to receive from God, which we see in Cornelius. So before I give you the things I've got on the note sheet, Let's brainstorm a little bit. What factors were present in Peter? Okay, in this story, um, this is the, he's the one God worked through that set the stage for what happened. What was there about Peter, who he was, what he did, what his attitude was? Um, what was there about him that you could say, you know what, those are some things that we could probably do too that would help set the stage for God to do something special when not something special needs to be done? What are some things about Peter's example, could you say, are, uh, are those things? What? He's spontaneous, um, and a spiritual way to put that was he was led by the Spirit, right? I mean, he was ready to go do whatever God's Spirit told him to do, you know, even if it wasn't in his plans. Good, good. I didn't use that word, but that's a good word. Spontaneous. Spontaneously led by the Spirit. What are some other things that Peter did? Amanda? His focus was on God. And not just God, but God's plans, not just his own plans. Okay? What else did Peter do, or what was involved in this about Peter? One of you mentioned earlier. Huh? Peter was repentant? Well, Peter certainly was a repentant guy, but I don't know if we see that so much in this story. Well, not in this story. <laughs> right, okay. Well, he was a good, firm believer, right? Yeah. 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 Chris? He was willing to Yeah, he was willing to follow God's directions, even when it didn't make sense according to his backgrounds. He had to overcome some of his cultural barriers and prejudices. Yeah. Okay, the one that you guys mentioned earlier is he was, he was, a, prayer per, he was a person of prayer. We see him in prayer all the time. But in this case, he's in prayer when he gets the vision, right? Okay, let's go ahead and jump into the ones I put on your notes. There may be more of them. But the first one is pray. Now, I put this in the terms of what we can do. Not just what Peter did, but what we can do. If we would really love to be used by God more than we are, what is it that we can do? How can we construct our lives and our walk with God such that we put ourselves in a position where God can really use us? We can pray. Okay? And I don't mean just... Oh, Lord, use me. That's a good first step. But be people of prayer. All right? The second one is be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. That goes back to several things that you guys said. That he did that. He followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. He was spontaneous. 
as Nora said. All right. And wherever the spirit led, even if it wasn't a direction he'd anticipated and it was difficult, like Chris said. Um, Number three, um, this is what Amanda said in different words, actively pursue God's business, not your own. Now, this doesn't mean you can't pursue your business, but in the midst of your business, realize that you are an ambassador for Jesus. So God, as I do what I'm supposed to do, because I got to take care of my family, I got to go to work. If we go to work, you know, whatever. Here's, here's my life. This is what you've called me to do. But in the midst of this, what is your plan for me? What is your business? Okay. When I got to run to Lowe's to pick up that stuff for my project, my agenda is to pick up the stuff I got on my list. What's your agenda for my trip to Lowe's? You know, his agenda may be totally different. I'm going to the grocery store to get groceries, Lord. My agenda is to get everything on my list. What's your agenda for me? All right, so actively pursue God's business, not your own. Number four, be willing to put aside personal preferences and prejudices. You know, I think that even after discussing this for two weeks, we still probably don't really get what the the big barrier that Peter had to get over to do what he did. Because he had been raised his entire life. You don't have anything to do with Gentiles unless you absolutely have to. And then it's the minimum. And you don't ever go in their houses. You don't ever eat with them. You don't ever, you know, create a friendship. or You just don't do that if you're a good Jewish person. And even after they became Christians, that's the way the Christians were too. Because they just couldn't fathom that God would break that. Okay, so be willing to put aside personal preferences and prejudices. Isn't it good that none of us ever have to deal with any prejudices today? We all do, don't we? I mean, even those of us who like to pride ourselves that we're a multicultural church and all that kind of stuff, we still got to battle things. We do. We do. But it's really helpful and healthy to admit that and to recognize that. Because if you don't recognize it, you never deal with it, right? All right. Number five, be willing to pay a price. What price did Peter have to pay to be used by God in this situation? What? People judging him. We're going to see that in the next lesson. Yeah, people judging him. What else? What are the price? And knowing that ahead of time, you know, as he's going through this, he's thinking, okay, God told me to do this, so I'm going to do it, but oh, boy, am I going to catch it later. (laughs) And he does. Okay. What other price did he pay? (laughs) <laughs> Maybe he ended up eating some things he didn't want to eat. You know, we talked about that a little bit last week, that, you know, there were these foods that you weren't supposed to eat because they were clean and unclean, but because they'd lived that in their culture, the, even the idea of eating it, it wasn't just taboo because God said so, but it'd be like, oh, I don't want to eat that. That's gross. Last week we talked about that. There are certain things that certain cultures eat that they just love, and people outside that culture say, uh-uh, I don't want to eat that, <laughs> you know. Okay, what are the, yeah, Tim. Yeah, ultimately he gave his life because of the gospel, you know. And, you know, Peter grew up a fisherman. He loved fishing. He gave all that up for Jesus. Um, In general, but also in this situation, it cost him his time. He had to go 30 miles, and there seemed to be kind of a rush. Would you want to walk 30 miles over the next day and a half to get as quickly as you could to someplace 30 miles away, you know? Um, A number of prices there. Again, you know, overcoming those prejudices. Number six, be bold when faced with an open door. Peter had probably gotten used to this. But I don't think that we should just assume that it made it easy for him. You know, we know what it's like when God gives us an open door. It's like, 
yeah, I want to speak up for Jesus, and I've done it before, and I'm going to do it, but yet you still wonder how they're going to accept it, what's going to happen, all that kind of stuff. But when God gives an open door, be bold, all right? And then number seven, be willing to speak the truth. You know, don't candy coat it. Now, don't be ugly, and certainly don't come across, you know, like you're glad people are going to hell. Um, I've shared before that somebody said, I forget, that the one problem he had with this one preacher is that he preached about hell like he was really glad people were going there. <laughs> Whenever somebody preaches about hell, they shouldn't come across like they're glad people are going there, you know. Um, but be willing to speak the truth, all right? So there may be some other things, but those are some things as we think about, Lord, I really want to be used by you. What can I do in my life to be prepared to be used by you? Be a person of prayer, okay? Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. Actively pursue God's business, not your own. And like I said, that example I gave, I actually didn't have my notes. It just kind of came to me. Whatever you're doing, saying, God, here's my plan. What's your plan in the midst of my plan? And God, if you want to totally divert me from my plan, help me to be sensitive to your spirit and be willing to go a different direction so I don't ever make it to Lowe's or Walmart or wherever I'm going, okay? Um, Be willing to put aside personal preferences and prejudice. Be willing to pay the price. Be bold when faced with an open door. Be willing to speak the truth. Now, on the other side, on the other end of it, Cornelius, being prepared to receive from God. What factors do we see in Cornelius that sets the stage for God to be able to reach down and touch him and his household like he did? He was fasting. Did it say he was fasting? You're probably right. It said that it had been four days. Yeah, I'm going back to the beginning of the story. When he first was praying, it says that he has feared God. He gave alms. About the ninth hour, he was praying. Okay, so was it in the text today? Because that uh, that totally escaped my notice. Um It's, okay, my translation says that four days ago I was praying at this hour. So your translation said he was fasting? Huh. There must be a word there that can be used for either way. Okay, so good point. That's why I didn't catch it because mine just says praying. All right, so. All right, so what else about Cornelius that helps set up the situation for him to be touched by God in this way? Faith. Yeah, we talked about it at the beginning. Why did he gather all his family members and, and, and household servants and all that kind of stuff when he didn't know whether Peter would show up or not? Because God said to send for Peter. If God said to send for Peter, he must be coming. So by faith, I'm getting him ready. Amen. And notice, I want you to notice something. God said send for him, but there's nothing in the story where God told him when he'd get there. It's 30 miles away. It could have been a week later. It sounds like Cornelius kept like, hey, guys, we're just going to wait. Okay, I got food, you know, sleep on the floor. I don't know. We're waiting for Peter to show up. So faith is a good one. Anything else about Cornelius that set him up to be touched by God in this way that you noticed? Renee. He was a giver. Okay, because he was willing to give. And, you know, God loves to give to people that love to give. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had lived a life that was pleasing to God and specifically giving to people's needs. Okay, well, let's jump in and look at the ones that I put on my list. Again, these may not be the only ones. The first one is pray. You say, wait a minute, we said about Peter. Well, you know what? Prayer is key to being used by God and to receiving from God. Prayer is key to all of it. Okay, you want to be in a position to really receive from God, be in relationship with him through prayer. Okay. 
Number two, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. Say, now, wait a minute. You said that about Peter. Yeah, same thing. Not only in being used by God, but receiving from God, you need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading. Number three, actively pursue a life pleasing to God. Now, that one's different than Peter. Peter, he said, actively pursue God's business, not your own. But it really is kind of the same thing, isn't it? Actively pursue a life pleasing to God. Like Renee said, it says specifically that he was a man of prayer. He was a man who gave to people in need. He was trying to please God. Uh, like we said at the very beginning, he was a God-fearer. He hadn't become a proselyte, but he did believe in the Jewish God, and he tried to live in a way that pleased that Jewish God. You know, we can see this in our own lives. I mean, when you've got kids or grandkids, when are you most likely wanting to bless them? When they're doing things that make you happy or when they really tick you off? <laughs> you know, in the case of the young ones, when they're really misbehaving, it's like, no. You really want me to give you that candy or ice cream or whatever? <laughs> Let's make life easy for grandma and grandpa or nana or papa or whatever, you know. So not that God's on that level that we got to somehow bribe him or whatever. But, you know, as we're his children and we're seeking to please him, how much more would God not want to be involved in our lives and bless us and, and meet our needs and take care of things? Tim, you had your hand up. Yeah, I mean, Cornelius could have faced criticism, too, from his end. All right? And um, that actually fits here in number four, too. Be willing to pay a price. We had that under um, Peter, be willing to pay a price. What kind of prices, what did Peter, what, what, what price did Cornelius pay? Uh, Tim just mentioned he, might, he could have possibly been criticized um, for doing this. What other price did Cornelius pay? All the food for the people that gathered, right? Chris? Yeah, to live the life that he's described as living cost him something. The giving cost him something. Gathering all the people together, providing for their needs while they're waiting for Peter and however long they're all together cost him something. Um, He sent the messengers. That cost him something. Um, I'm not saying it was a big cost, but it cost him something. Number five, uh, have faith that God will do something. Have faith that God will do something. Um, we talked about this already a couple times. What showed his faith was that he sent the messengers. God gave him. Because, you know, the angel could have showed up and, and he could have said, well, was that really God? Mm, you know, um, he sent the messengers. He gathered everybody together. He's anticipating. All right. Now, did he know exactly what Peter was going to tell him and what the end result would be? No. And I make that point because um, we can ask God for specific things. Ask for healing, provision for finance, a special move in our hearts. Lord, stir my spirit. Do something special. Renew my fervor. I I believe God desires to answer those things. But even if you're not really sure what God's going to do, at least expect that he's going to do something. You know, wake up in the morning and say, God, I don't know what you've got for me today, but I know you've got something for me today. And by faith, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to being used by you on the Peter side. I'm looking forward to receiving from you today, whatever it is. By faith, okay? Have faith that God will do something. And then number six, be open and eager to receive the truth. Now, that is really easy when you think the truth is going to be something you like. But we need to be open and eager to receive the truth, even if the truth is something we don't like. Because if it's God's truth, it's good for us. Sort of like you've got to take the medicine. Some medicine tastes good, and some medicine doesn't taste good. But if it's medicine you need, it's going to be good for you, Right? 
So be open and eager to receive truth. So as we wrap this up, we started this way. We want God to actively work in our lives. You know, and in our lives and through us. And even though this story, in its details, we would probably never live out exactly like that. All these principles show us how we can be prepared to use, be used by God and be prepared for God to do a work in us. And so hopefully as we've gone through this story and gone through these different factors, maybe God has spoken to us about one or two that we can maybe work a little bit more on, you know. Maybe it has to do with our prayer life. Maybe it has to do with trying to be more sensitive to God's leading. Maybe it has to do with as we go through our day, we just don't go with our own agenda alone, but we say, God, here's my agenda. Guide and lead me and show me what your agenda is in the midst of my agenda. You know, And, and God, feel free to totally change my plans. I don't like it, but go ahead. Change them if you want to. You know, And being willing to pay that price if that's what God tells you to do. So you don't accomplish everything you plan to do today because God had you do something else, you know. So anyway, any final thoughts or comments before we close in prayer? All right. Father, thank you for the time we've had tonight to look at another episode from Peter's life. When you used him in a powerful way, you did it, but you used Peter. God, use us in the same way. God, we may think that you couldn't do or wouldn't do or might not do very much through us. But Lord, help us to realize that you will use us far more than we would dream if we just be open to what you want to do, paying attention, willing to pay the cost, and stepping out in faith and, and looking to say, God, what do you want me to do? But God, we also pray that you work powerfully in our lives. We, we, we ask for a fresh touch of your spirit. A fresh outpouring of your spirit in our lives, Lord God. We have needs. We, we ask you for those. God, help us to be in a position to receive all the good things you have for us. Lord, I think sometimes we don't receive everything that you have for us because we're just not doing what we're supposed to do. So, Lord, guide and lead us in that too. And, Father, in the midst of all that, just help us all to grow closer to you. And we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 